Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. Everyone said amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the 24th chapter of Luke. I will share a few thoughts with you and I will be out of your way. I'll make sure y'all beat the Methodist to Lubies this morning. Amen. Glory to God. Come on. Come on. Any Lubies? That's old school. Old school, yeah, yeah. I know y'all don't do lubies. Y'all, y'all right here in the shops of Legacy at Legacy West, so y'all got that fancy palette. Y'all got that Capitol Grill going, that Del Frisco. But do I have anybody in the house this morning that's empty enough to admit that there was a season in your life when Shoney's was your jam? Come on, anybody know? Anybody know a little something about Shoney's? Come on, somebody. Where are my Ponderosa? Ponderosa people. Pa- pa- I don't know where they got that steak from. But it was the jam. Any, any, any sizzler? Sizzler? Anybody sizzler? One last one. One last one. Are you empty enough to admit that every now and now, every now and then you get down a Cracker Barrel? Any, any crack, Cracker Barrel? Come on, so that's the good stuff right there. Right? Come on, somebody. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, I'm gonna let y'all out of here soon enough, early enough. Uh, yeah to beat the Methodists to lubies in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, I try. I told you all, I try to live by this principle. I don't always do. Uh, but blessed are the short-winded, for they shall be asked to speak again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, somebody say, help our pastor this morning in Jesus' name. Uh, before I go any further, happy Easter. And uh, uh, he is risen Indeed. Amen. Let's dive into the word together. Uh, Our anchor text uh, for the next few moments is lifted from the 24th chapter of Luke, one of four gospels that recount the life, the mission and ministry of Jesus. Uh, That three and a half year of earthly ministry, three and a half years of earthly ministry has culminated with his crucifixion. And the narrative picks up here in verse 24 because... uh, Those who had followed Jesus, those who had observed his life, find themselves somewhat in the middle. Uh, When I talk about the middle, I mean halfway between where you were and where you're going. Uh, I'm talking about the middle, and I mean halfway between who you used to be and who you're becoming. And the middle can be an uncertain place. The middle can be an awkward place because when you assess where you are, it's just as easy to go back to what you're comfortable and convenient and familiar with as it is to move forward. And most people in the middle choose to go back to what they know. I like to call the middle the sunken place. Come on, somebody. Anybody got that? that? Some of y'all know, y'all seen the movie, y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you like me, but there have been moments and seasons in my life when I have found myself in the sunken place. But the good news this morning is that the sunken place is not the end. That the middle is not the end of your story or your testimony. There is more beyond where you find yourself right now. So don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Because just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. Mm -hmm. That's for somebody this morning. 
Can I tell you something else? Uh, as we pick up the narrative, these two people are in a place where they saw Jesus die. And in their minds, they had resigned to what they had observed. It's over. What we thought was going to happen ain't going to happen because we saw it end. But the resurrection reminds us that even in our lives, the things that we thought were dead can receive new life again. I'm talking about the dead dreams. I'm talking about the dead plans. I'm talking about the disappointments. I'm talking about life's delays and life's detours. Jesus is about to meet two men who find themselves in the sunken place, in the middle, because they saw Jesus die. And they thought that their hopes and dreams and their expectations would die with Jesus. Can I, can I tell you something else? First thing, just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. Here's the second thing. Silence doesn't mean inactivity. <laughs> ah, that's that's going to help somebody uh, right when you take that first bite of that pancake at brunch. That God's silence doesn't mean inactivity. That just because you can't hear him and just because you can't see him and just because you can't touch him does not mean that he's not at work. His silence does not mean that he is absent. And as we pick up the narrative, we see these two men who saw Jesus buried. And the city of Jerusalem is covered with hushed silence because Jesus is now dead. And they think it's over. Can I tell you, can I tell you a third thing? In the middle. <laughs> what happens in the middle? Y'all ready for this? I don't know if y'all are as old school as I am. But most of you know that I am originally from Liberia, West Africa. And back in the 70s and 80s, if you are going to get pictures done, how many of you remember that you had to leave, the, the, the photographer would take the pictures, and then you had to come back a little bit later uh, to pick up your pictures? Now, he would take the pictures, and then he would go away and take the film from the photograph and go into something they called a dark room. How many of you realize that the God we serve develops us in the dark? He develops us in obscurity so that he can raise us up into notoriety. And you might find yourself in a place that is a sunken place, that is a dead place, that is a dark place. But it is in the darkness that God ultimately develops us. Come on, somebody. What I, loved about, what I loved about the dark room is you walk into the dark room. Anybody remember what color the bulb was? Come on, somebody. When, when Cedric came up with them red shoes, man, I heard my wife say red is for the blood. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Red is for the blood. And because Jesus develops us in the dark, his blood gives us access to all of what God and all of who God is so that we don't end up in the dark room. Because if anybody remembers, come on somebody, if you grew up in Liberia, anybody remember Color Spot? Color Spot was the spot where we used to go get our pictures done. If you grew up in the 80s in America, anybody remember Olin Mills? Come on somebody. My wife said, don't forget J.C. Penney. Come on, somebody. And so, 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 so the photographer would take the picture 
and the image that he got back from taking the picture as he brought it into the dark room was called what? Come on, somebody. It is in those dark places. It is in those secret places. It is in the place of obscurity that God takes every negative thing, every negative image about who you are or who you once were, and washes it in the blood. If you find yourself in the middle, all he's done is he simply brought you in the dark room. And it is in that place that he is developing you. And out of that place, you will walk in greater power than you've ever experienced in your life. Just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. Just because he's silent in this season doesn't mean he's absent. But if you find yourself in a dark place, he's developing you. And as I'm lying on the floor in my prayer room, the Lord says, Ray, I got you right where I need you. This is how I've wanted you to come to me ever since. This is how I've been hoping and yearning and praying that you would come to me. Empty, broken, recognizing that if it's going to be done, it's only going to happen by my hand. I don't know why God does that with some people. <laughs> I don't know why he chooses to do it with some people. I don't know why he, he gives people, uh, he calls some people and they, they start doing something and overnight it explodes. And for some of us, it takes a little bit longer. I don't know why. But I can guarantee you what God does next in and through our church will be nothing less than miraculous. As we come to him empty of ourselves, we walk Away full. There was the rich young ruler who came to Jesus full of himself. He said, I've kept your commandments from the very first day. I've never violated one of them. What shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus says, sell everything you have and follow me. And the scripture says the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus that moment, sad. Came to Jesus full, walked away empty. By contrast, there was a Pharisee who came to Jesus at night. Somebody say Nick at night because his name was Nicodemus. Come on, pastor on the road this morning. Comedy Central, somebody about to go on tour. Nick at night. He comes to Jesus under the cover of night because he's afraid of what his contemporaries, his colleagues would think about him, that he being a Pharisee would come to Jesus seeking spiritual solutions. And the Pharisee says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is where we find these immortal words in John chapter 3. He says, you must be born again. And that night, Nicodemus came to Jesus empty of himself, but he left the presence of Jesus full. For those of us who who think we've got it made and we did it because of our family name, because of our education, because of how smart we were, we will miss 
Oh, we will miss what Jesus desires to do in us if we continue to come to him full of ourselves. I believe that today the Lord wants us to empty ourselves so that he can fill us again. So the narrative picks up in Luke chapter 24, two men. Well, we don't know. There are two travelers. We know one is a man because he is identified. The second traveler is not identified by name or gender. We know that they are two travelers. Some commentators believe that it is the man named Cleopas and probably his wife. But all we know is that there are two travelers. One is male. He's identified as Cleopas. Now, the scripture says uh, on the first day of the week, very early, listen, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them, I'm sorry, let's pick up at verse 13. Let's pick up at verse 13. Uh, it says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, let me just say something about, uh, about Emmaus. Uh, if you were to travel to Israel today and ask the travel guide to take you to Emmaus, uh, he wouldn't be able to because Emmaus no longer exists. In fact, archaeologists are not even sure where Emmaus was. Hmm? Yet we find in the narrative that after Jesus resurrects from the dead, he chooses to meet these two travelers on the way to a nondescript village that we don't even know where it once was. Can I just say this as simply as I can? That sometimes God shows up where we least expect him to. Listen to me. Jerusalem was in an uproar because this guy named Jesus, who they thought was going to be their redeemer, is now dead. The Romans have struck an amazing victory as well as the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. And these men, instead of staying in Jerusalem, are leaving Jerusalem. They're walking away from Jerusalem. Listen to me. Let me tell you why this is significant. Because Jerusalem is where Jesus told them to stay. Jesus told them, tarry in Jerusalem until I get back. And when they saw that Jesus had died, and had been buried. They were leaving the place where he told them to wait. Come on, somebody. They were walking away from Jerusalem empty. But Jesus finds them as they are walking away from, listen to me, I'm talking to somebody this morning. Jesus wants to meet you on your road to Emmaus. He wants to meet you in the midst of your disappointment in him. In him. I'm talking about those who are disappointed that God didn't do it the way they scripted it. As they're walking away from Jerusalem where Jesus says, wait until I show up, Jesus finds them. And can I just say this? Jesus, after he rose from the dead, uh, the scripture says, 
Over a period of 40 days, he revealed himself alive to many witnesses, as many as 500. Jesus didn't have a whole lot of time to waste. And the fact that he showed up to meet these men on the road to Emmaus is a message that should resonate with us 2,000 years later, that Jesus is going to find you even when you're walking away. This is the message of Easter. I've said it here before, and it bears repeating, that the challenge that most people have with God and the church is that his church has been a lousy PR firm. And the God that we have introduced to the world is not the God of the Bible. A misrepresentation of who he is. And as we read the narrative, Jesus is pursuing two travelers who have given up all hope, who are walking away in disappointment because God didn't show up for them the way they thought. They are in the middle. There's no evidence that he is risen. And Jesus shows up. Listen to me. The narrative continues in verse 14. Seven miles. Elder Sigler, I was just curious, man. Seven miles. Because I wanted to know how long this journey was. And so I looked it up on Google. How long does it take to walk seven miles at a natural human pace? Anybody want this useless knowledge for your archives? Natural human pace is approximately 20 miles, I mean 20 minutes Per mile, 20 minutes per mile. So if you're walking at a natural human pace, you can walk a mile in 20 minutes. What that means is the natural human pace is approximately three miles an hour. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Three miles per hour. So as these guys are walking with Jesus, natural pace, and they're having this conversation, a seven, and I'll just, I'm going to make sure y'all paying attention in class. Y'all didn't know y'all came to, to back class. As they're walking with Jesus, seven mile journey, walking at three miles an hour. Approximately how long did they walk with Jesus from Jerusalem to Emmaus? Somebody gave that dude an apple, man. Two hours, 20 minutes. I, I began to ask myself, what would two hours and 20 minutes with Jesus be like? If I allow Jesus to come into my disappointment for two and a half hours, what would he say? Come on, somebody. And the Bible says that they walked seven miles to Emmaus. And this is what happened. I'm I'm about to wrap this thing up. For those of you who are visiting for the first time, When I say I'm about to wrap it up, um, <laughs> two hours and 20 minutes. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. You can go on tour with me, baby. Glory to God. No, I'm about to wrap it up. Huh? I know, I know, I know. I do need to have snacks. Um, um, uh, so, so here it is. Uh, and it says they talked together of all these things which had happened. They're traveling and they're trying to wrap their heads around what had transpired 
over the last 48 to 72 hours. And, and it says they talked together of all these things which had happened. And verse 15 says, so it was, so it was that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Come on, somebody. Can I, can I just tell you something? There's two words that jump off the page to me. It says that they conversed and they reasoned together. And so when Jesus showed up, their eyes were restrained. Can I say that Jesus wants to invade the empty places of our lives? so that he can deal with our reasoning because it is our reasoning that has restrained us from seeing him in our broken places. These guys are trying to make sense of what just happened. And Jesus, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and finisher of their faith, shows up with them. And for two and a half hours, they're reasoning. They're trying to figure out what's happening. And the answer is right there with them, and they don't even see him. Come on, can I just encourage you that if you find yourself in the middle, if you find yourself in the sunken place, talk less, listen more. For two and a half hours, Elder Sigler, Jesus walked with them. And they're trying to figure it out. I've been guilty of it, Dad. When I've tried to figure God out, instead of letting him reveal himself. And so in our empty places, we are often restrained by our reasoning. Can I ask you this, City Church? What's keeping you from seeing Jesus? What's keeping you from seeing Jesus? This morning, what's keeping you from seeing the resurrected Jesus? Is it your idea of God? Have we reduced God to our idea of him and what he should do and how he should do it and when he should do it? And, well, it happened because of this. And if, if, if God had been there, then that wouldn't have happened. And, and, and they, their eyes were restrained. They couldn't see Jesus with them because of their reasoning. So finally, <laughs> Jesus like, man, let me chime in and help these, these, these dudes, man. <laughs> let me help these kids out. In fact, Stephen Covey, famously said, the problem is not the problem. The problem is how you see the problem. And what Jesus wants to do is in your sunken place and in my sunken place and in those empty places of our lives, he wants to shift how we see the problem. And he even wants to shift and change how we see God. So, so, so these guys are walking and they're trying to figure this thing out. And, and, and where are we? Verse 16, uh, uh, but their eyes were restrained. And verse 17 said, and he, Jesus, said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? What y'all talking about? Now notice their response, verse 18. Then the one whose name was Cleopas. <laughs> Come on, somebody. 
When I read this story, I know they said they were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But with a name like Cleopas, you got to be from Birmingham somewhere, man. <laughs> Birmingham, Huntsville. I can see Cleopas right now, man. He got that jerry curl with the juice right on his collar, man. And Cleopas, check this out. Cleopas, this is how I see he got that one gold tooth with the gangrene all around it, and he be. I told you I'd go with on the road. Cleopas. I think Cleopas would have a last name like Pettigrew. Cleopas D. Pettigrew. So Cleopas chimed in. Notice what he said. <laughs> he said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened these three days? And Jesus said to him, what things? I like how Jesus does. And I like how we do too. Because Cleopas D. Pettigrew is about to tell Jesus about Jesus. Yet their eyes are restrained by their reasoning. Because in our empty places, we sometimes think we've got God figured out. So Jesus says, what things? Because there are moments and seasons in our lives, in our dark places, where Jesus asks the questions, not because he needs an answer. Not because he needs an answer. Jesus asks the question. Huh, huh? Listen to me, listen to me. Huh? Because he wants you to locate where you are. When Jesus shows up in the Garden of Eden and says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know where Adam was. He was trying to get Adam to recognize where he was. The one who had once walked with him is now covering himself up in fig leaves and doesn't even know how far he is from God. So Jesus says to them, what things? Not because he needed for them to instruct him or inform him because he wanted them to locate themselves. And I've discovered something about the sunken place, that it's there. He begins to ask us the most probing questions, not because he needs an answer from us, but he needs us to find where we are. And that's what that being on the floor, lying prost, let me say the right word. <laughs> Just lying on the floor. Yeah. I had to think about it, man. I almost said prostrate. That means lying down. Okay, thank you for your help. It almost came out, man. Glory to God. Lying prostrate. And the Lord wanted to locate, wanted me to locate myself. Only so he could say, you've made room for me. 
Okay, so, 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 so he goes on. This, these, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Uh, verse 21, here it is. But we were hoping. Ah. That's why the writer of Proverbs, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. He said, man, we were hoping. Man, we were hoping that he would be the redeemer of Israel. We were expecting and hoping that he would show up in a way that was different than how the story ended. Their hope was deferred because on that day on the cross, Jesus showed up in a way they didn't expect. I'm going to go fast. I don't have time to even get through the text. This morning, when you come to Jesus acknowledging that you are empty, the first thing he's going to deal with is your expectations. The first thing he's going to deal with is your expectations. And if you guys can remember, we've talked about this before. The degree to which I am exasperated or disappointed is determined by the deficit or the distance between what I expected and what I actually experienced. All this stuff in the middle is the degree to which you're disappointed. God, I expected this, but this is what I experienced. And when you come into that place of emptiness and brokenness with God, the first thing he will do is deal with your expectations. And he will close the gap between what you expected and what you're actually experiencing. Because when your expectation and your experiences become one, you experience the joy of the Lord. We were hoping. And he didn't show up the way I thought he would. So... Jesus continues, and I promise you, <laughs> I'm wrapping this thing up. Verse 23, it says, but we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our own company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. How did they do that? They, they, they didn't find his body. Then they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Notice, these men were believers because they said women of their own company. That means Mary Magdalene. They were part of that crew that followed Jesus. Cleopas and this other person he was traveling with were all believers because Mary had been to the tomb and they said these women came and told us he ain't there. But it's amazing how disappointment can cause selective amnesia to set in. It's amazing when you're disappointed the things you remember and the things you forget. Because everything they said about Jesus was true, that he was a mighty prophet, that he had wrought mighty deeds, but they had forgotten that Jesus also said he would rise from the dead. And it's amazing, it's amazing how we forget the promise of God when what we want God to do and how we want God to do it doesn't actually materialize. So he deals with their expectation 
but he deals with the second thing in the empty place. Notice what he says. He says, and certain of these women, verse 24, who were with us went to the tomb and found, uh, found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. Then Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have said. Hey, verse 26, here it is. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and then enter into glory? He says, not only is the problem your expectation, let me tell you the second problem, your perspective, the way you see it. He says, this redeemer, Jesus was born to die. But this is what we often do. We reduce the purpose of God to our priorities. So Jesus, I got this urgent need. I need you to do it my way and I need you to do it now. And we don't realize that there is purpose in our pain. Jesus said he had to die. That was part of the plan from the beginning. And most of us miss God on our road to Emmaus when life gets painful. Because somewhere we've been taught that if you follow Jesus, life is going to be pain-free. Yet the scripture says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were restrained because they couldn't understand that God would allow something painful to happen to them. And when Jesus shows up in our empty place, he does it for two reasons. To deal with our expectations and to shift our perspective. So that we begin to see that there is purpose in our pain and number two, that God never wastes our pain. So here it is. Here it is. Here it is. And the team can come because we're going to celebrate communion together as we close. Ushers, you can begin to prepare the elements. Uh, so they're walking, and Jesus is about to, uh, to leave them, and they begin to plead with Jesus. Like, look, look, no, Jesus, don't leave us. They don't know it's Jesus yet, but they, they, they like, look, it's already dark. So why don't you just come and spend the night with, with us? They were very hospitable. And, and, and notice verse 28. It says, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. It's like, man, I could go farther in this journey. But verse 29 says, they constrained him saying, abide with us, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And Jesus said, I will stay with you. Now it came to pass. This is where I close. Jesus goes to the house. He's going to spend the night. It says, and it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. Ah, that he took the bread. He blessed it. And he broke it. And he gave it to them. Notice what happens next. <laughs> then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished away. Listen, listen. For two and a half hours, they were restrained by their reasoning. But when Jesus shows up and he's about to have communion with them, the scripture says that he took the bread. Ah, then he blessed the bread. 
Then he broke it and then he gave it. Here's point number two. Jesus was revealed in their routine. Listen to me. Those two travelers were looking for Jesus to show up in something spectacular. They were looking for Jesus to show up as the redeemer. But you know where their eyes were opened where they saw Jesus? He was revealed in the routine and the mundane. You know why? Because Jesus is often hidden in plain sight. Let me tell you, one of the reasons we miss Jesus in the sunken place is because we're looking for him to show up in this supernatural and spectacular way. Yet Jesus was in the breaking and the blessing of the bread. He's right here where he's always been. Can I just go a step further and say that Jesus was revealed? Listen to me. He was revealed in the breaking. He was revealed in the breaking. He was revealed in the breaking. And here it is. Jesus did four things. He took the bread. You know what that means for us this morning? He chose you. I want you to hear that this morning. He chose you. He chose you, knew everything about you, not just your past, but even your future, and he still chose you. Can I prove that to you? When Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, he's on the mountain with God. God says your brother Aaron is going to be the high priest. When he comes down from the mountain, listen to me, God had already said your brother Aaron is going to be the high priest. When Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, guess what Aaron was doing? They were turning up. Now, did God know that Aaron and the Israelites were turning up before he told Aaron, this is going to be the high priest? He knew exactly what Aaron was doing. He knew Aaron's proclivities. He knew his weaknesses and still chose him. In fact, Moses was so mad that he dashed the Ten Commandments down. But God says, I have chosen your brother. In spite of his fickleness. You know why? Because God chose you. God chose you. God's calling you this morning. In spite of you. In spite of you. In spite of you. Now look at the second thing he did. He blessed it. Can I just say this morning that maybe God sent me to you to remind you that you're already blessed? That in Christ you are already blessed? You don't have to chase a blessing down or pursue a blessing. The scripture says if you and I are in Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and we are heirs according to the promise. You know what the promise is? That if we will simply hearken unto God's command, follow his word, that these blessings, these blessings will run after us and overtake us. I don't have to chase it. It chases me down. You know why the blessing is attracted to me? It's because I'm blessed. I'm not blessed because I have blessings. I have blessings because I am blessed. And I am blessed not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's where Jesus reveals himself. Not in my reasoning, but recognizing that I am chosen and loved by God. Recognizing that I'm already blessed in spite of my failures and my shortcomings. Woo. But after the blessing comes the breaking. 
We don't like that part, do we? See how y'all got quiet on me? My wife gets on me. Because when I put on cologne, <laughs> and we get in the car together, she got to roll down the windows for like the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I get after it, man. My wrist, behind my ears. You know how you spray it out here and walk into it? <laughs> Do that about three, four times. On each layer. Yeah, that's how I do. Yeah, undershirt. Shirt. Jacket. That's how I roll. But why is that important? This is what I'm going to say. Why am I talking about that? The fragrance of God that you and I carry will never benefit anyone unless the seal is broken. That alabaster box didn't benefit a soul until that woman came with the alabaster box and broke it. And the scripture says the fragrance filled the room. You know what the breaking in your life is about? It's so that what God has in you, the fragrance of God. Listen, there is no multiplication of the bread until it's broken. Jesus took five loaves and two fish, or two fish and five loaves. Two fish and five loaves. Come on, Sunday school. And it was in the breaking that it multiplied. This is my final close. Your multiplication is coming because of the breaking. It may not feel good now. You may not understand it now. But it is out of that broken place that God is about to increase everything connected to you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at if you are encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text City Church TV and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.